0: The desire of Titus' women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, center, and source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Numbers 12, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more meek than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood by the door of the tabernacle, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he, see, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses?' So the anger of the Lord was roused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead." whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days. And the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now, if you could turn over to James 4, or James 3. Kind of keep your finger in numbers. We're going to start really in in, um, James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good conduct, that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every form of evil are there. But wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from our desires for pleasure that war in our members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Where whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or do you think that scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously but he gives more grace therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter to be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. And then let me read you Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you, praise you, praise you that we can meet together today. We praise you for the privilege of meeting around your word. We praise you for what you're doing around the world. We praise you for intervening today in the life of John Mark and sending healing in your wings. We praise you for touching Mary Sutherland and send healing in those arthritic legs that she could be able to go to Ecuador. We praise you for being with Lynn and Jorge Mogrovejo as they prepare for her and as they get ready for her to teach in the seminary there. We pray for the Church of Jesus Christ in Ecuador. We pray for the Pocot people of Kenya. We praise you for these that know Jesus that never had heard his name before. We praise you for what you can do with one woman who's wholly yours, who loves you with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her soul, and with all her strength. Would you today do that in our hearts? And dear sweet Jesus, would you come and open the word to us so it's alive alive? It's more alive than we are to each other. That today it's just like you're having an individual conversation with every single one of us here over tea and coffee. That, God, you might come. We would like to invite the presence of Jesus to come that when we leave this morning, we will never, ever be the same and the world will never be the same because a group of women have met Jesus Christ and they've met him in radical devotion and absolute love and surrender. God, possess us with thyself. Let us be women possessed by the spirit of Jesus. Now, God, we just praise you. We praise you. Set us free to be women after God's own heart and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Now last week we talked a little bit about leadership, Christian leadership, and what it means, what what it means in our lives. We've got threads running through this book. And one of them what it means in, to lead other people and what the other people are like and then what it's also a look at Do I have a carnal heart? Because that's what Moses was dealing with. Now, you may be in church leadership. You may be in, every one of us is in a leadership role. It doesn't matter what we do. And especially if you're a wife and mom, you have a little group of quite carnal little creatures right around your feet (laughs) you wish sometimes your two year olds could be safe sanctified and called but they're not (laughs) and so what we've got here are principles for dealing with other people so what the first, the first um, challenge of Christian leadership is dealing with carnal people. And they're people who don't depend upon God but depend upon themselves. They're lost or they're just have started out with God but have not fully surrendered. So what are the characteristics of those people? Complaining. And as I read them to you, let it be a test in your own heart. Am I a complainer? Complaining. Discontented. They're lustful. They had an appetite for Egypt, but not for the things of God. They were greedy. They were impatient. They wanted God to work now. And they had a warped sense of memory of the past. They couldn't remember being on the Chang gang. All they could remember were the leeks and the garlics. And so what God wants to do is not have us, those are not marks of the spirit-filled Christian That is the carnal Christian. And this is an inventory. Are any of those characteristics in your life In my life God wants to deal with them? Now, what did we notice, too, about challenges of Christian leadership? Intercessory prayer. Moses was an intercessor. When the plague fell, the judgment of God fell upon the Israelites, who should have known better but were not willing. Do you know how far they were from the promised land? 11 days. 11 days. And they wouldn't give, let God have a chance to move them 11 days. And they wanted what they wanted right now. It's like our two-year-olds. I want what I want right now. And I, don't want, I won't wait. I won't listen to reason. I just want it now. And that's exactly what they were like. Moses intercedes, and the fire that God sends in judgment is averted. Then Moses is overwhelmed. Mark, sometimes of Christian leadership, I love the word, it's realistic. He was overwhelmed. Have you ever suffered from burnout, leadership burnout, marriage burnout, uh, life burnout, children burnout, just burnout, burnout? (laughs) I know I have. And so what happens? The difference between spirit-filled Christians and the difference between carnal Christians is Moses is overwhelmed by what he's, he's called to do and who he's called to lead. But he turns to God, and he has a very honest dialogue with God. Remember, he says, you're killing me off. I didn't bear all these babies. I don't want to carry them anymore. They're wearing me out. And he honestly goes to God and shares where he is. Did the others go to God? No. They just whined and complained and complained. But Moses takes his legitimate complaints and he goes to God. And God immediately moves in to meet him. God immediately comes. And what does he do? He gives him a provision of himself. Sweetest thing. And I've seen this over and over again in my life. I remember when I was homeschooling Katie Beth, our oldest, in seventh grade with another mama, the two of us. She was the real teacher. <laughs> I was kind of the chief flunky. <laughs> so, uh And I had two little babies. I had a two-year-old and a I don't know, Susanna was 18 months and Billy was not quite three. So they were dinky running around, and then Cricket was in there in the mix. And then we still had all kinds of discipleship groups and a, a hyperactive husband. You know, I was overwhelmed. <laughs> and and I remember saying, Jesus, I didn't clean my house. I didn't have time. I was behind in everything. I said, Jesus, I can't do this. And it was re- right. I couldn't do it all. And do you know, the whole time... this. So I went to Jesus. That was a good thing. I went to Jesus. He came and he met me with himself. He always does. That's the sweetest thing about Jesus. But then he met me with a plan. And do you know, a little college gal came every Monday for the whole time I homeschooled, which was not quite two years. <laughs> he, she came every Monday morning. I didn't have to go get her. And at 9 o'clock, that little gal was there. She helped and just didn't talk to me, didn't anything. She just cleaned for three hours and left. And you can tell how long ago it was because I only paid her $12, and those were fair wages. And, so, and she, she, she was my love gift from Jesus to help me survive for that time in my life. Do you know the minute I stopped homeschooling Katie Beth, Carla left. She graduated from school. And she didn't. It was I didn't need her in the same dimension, but for that point in my life, God moved in and made a way for me me to be able to do that that He was calling on me to do without losing the victory, most of the time. <laughs> so that God makes a provision when there's actual burnout in our lives, or we're coming to that place where we're overwhelmed by circumstances. We cannot whine and complain. What we do is go to Jesus and let him meet us with himself. And then we go to Jesus. And what He, Jesus did for Moses was give him 70 spirit-filled men to do the work of the ministry. And that is a cry that God would lift up again, 70 spirit-filled men, 70 spirit-filled women to do the work of the ministry. And he gave a game plan. And the difference was these men were anointed by God. And then he gave the people what they craved. He gave them what they wanted, and what they wanted was meat, and they wanted it right. Now, God gave them what they wanted. God will give you what you want. It depends. You and I choose how much we get from God and whether we get all that God has for us. And instead, they chose meat instead of manna, which was the food of angels. They chose leanness of soul, and they chose the judgment of God. And that choice is up to you and I. Moses did not. Now we come to chapter 12. And I'd like to say it gets better, ladies, but it doesn't. What we have now is Moses has all the pressure of all those wailing. They're literally weeping by their tent doors. If you can imagine, grown-up two-year-olds weeping by their tent doors. And what happens? You think that would be enough, would you not, for them to bear? But what do we have here? Then... Moses gets kind of blindsided from whom? His inner team. The ones that should be there for him if no one else is. And not only that, not only is it his inner team, the one with the most spiritual responsibility in the camp, but his own brother and sister. And when you're really down, where do you look for help? To the fam. And where are they? They're not there. Why? they're they're envious why is God blessing him and got him in control instead of me why is he blessing Moses and not me why is he doing different things in my life than he's doing in their lives and so the insidious evil of envy creeps into the heart of Miriam I believe first and then it flows over to Aaron because sin never is self-contained. It always spews its mess all over. And Moses, Miriam and Aaron pick a point of his greatest vulnerability. And who knows your buttons to push or my buttons to push better than the family, especially siblings. <laughs> they just know which one to push, and you can be just going crazy, and you don't even know how it happened. Is that not true? So what happens? They go after Moses' choices, most intimate relationship, his relationship to his wife. Talk about underhanded. So he's getting all this from outside, and then he's like a little fish woman in the top of the sea, and all of a sudden he's getting knife from the underbelly. He didn't expect it there, I'm sure. So, and they go after his wife. And the word here says Ethiopian. It can be translated three different ways. Usually, the Hebrew word Kush means Ethiopian, but it can also mean a a town, a, a Babylonian district, and it can also mean an, an Arabian an area, an area in Arabia called Kush, and the Midianites that Zipporah was one of could have come from this area. So I don't believe there's, I believe this was Zipporah. It's just another name to for calling her people. And Zipporah was not a Jewess. She was a Midianite. And so Miriam just says, it gives him a hard time. You know, she's not really as good as we are. You know, she's not really one of us. You know, you could have done better. You really... So there's just a little prejudice, a little put down, a little... Right at his most vulnerable place, right at his most intimate relationship, they go for his juggler. And then, the real reality comes out. It doesn't have anything to do with Zipporah. It's like... So... What Has the Lord only spoken through you, Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? So what what do we have here? Envy and self-seeking. Ambition. Personal ambition. And what did James say? It says... Any envy and uh, self, wherever you find envy or self-seeking you find um, evil and confusion and every evil desire. It unlooses confusion and every evil desire and so and then it, and he says it's wisdom that comes out of a heart of envy and a heart of self-seeking and ambition that's demonic from Satan, that's worldly from the world's point of view, not from God's, and that's sensual. It's what I want once again when I want it. That was radical for me when I first realized that. Look at your life. Look at your relationships. Look at mine. Look at our churches. Is there confusion? Is there stuff not in order? It may mean there's selfish ambition there. One-upmanship, a little envy, a lot of pride, and God's and what ha, what does Moses do with this attack upon his very personhood? He doesn't do anything. Who moves in? God Himself, because what happened over in Exodus four? One day, Moses died to Moses. He just died. God said, I want you to go back to Egypt. He said, I don't think I do Egypt, Jesus. He said, I'm a wanted man. Even so, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to Egypt. And I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. Oh, couldn't you call someone else? I'm not qualified. And God says, no, you're the one I want. And Moses Knowing that it could be just a literal death sentence. He didn't know the Pharaoh had changed yet. He goes back to Egypt. And in that chapter 4 of Exodus. You see the death of Moses. Not in the person. But in his self will. So that what has happened in Moses. Is no longer is he his own. It is all of Moses for all of God. And God has not only gotten his heart. But he's gotten his essence so that the point of reference for Moses is no longer Moses, it is God himself. So that Moses, and that is the essence of sanctification, the essence of heart holiness. When God can get you and he can get me to the place where my point of reference is no longer Beth and me and mine. But it turns into God himself. What is the will of God for me here? What does God want here? And it's not just, how is this to my personal advantage? What's in it for me? How am I looking? And yes, Lord, but. And God's got Moses' heart. Now one of the fringe benefits that he didn't know about trusting God with all his heart. So he put down his dukes and put down his walls and said, Ah, if I perish, I perish, I'll obey you, I'll go back to Egypt. When he came to that place, do you know what happened? He was no longer protecting himself, but who moves in to fight for him personally? God himself. So that Moses had begun to fight for right, hear me, but not his rights. And there's a drastic difference. He did not fight for his rights. When it came to the rights of Moses, God himself showed up, and it says God heard. And what did God hear? Now, wouldn't that change our conversation if we had a conscientious sense of everything we said he heard? (laughs) And so God it says the Lord heard. And he said, Moses of all the men on the face of the earth was the most meek. That means that Moses was not his, that he was God's, and he wasn't fighting for his rights, he was fighting for what was right. So what happens? God shows up and he said, I'd like to meet with you three, please, down by at my house. So sure enough The three came out. And the Lord came down. That was some meeting. And the pillar of cloud came. And the pillar of cloud came down. And stood at the door. And he called forth Aaron and Miriam. And then he said. Listen. Most of the time. If I have a prophet. I speak to him in a vision. Or a dream. But I don't relate that way. To my servant Moses. I speak to him face-to-face and he said even and i speak to him plainly i don't speak to him in in dark sayings i just tell him what's on my heart face-to-face in fact moses has even seen the form of god remember in 33 of exodus where he says lord show me your glory he wasn't settled he just wanted to know him not just know about him know him what kind of hunger for God he showed and he says why weren't you afraid to speak against him and then the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and the ultimate most fearful thing happened his glory departed and what happens when the cloud departs and the presence of God departs immediately Death and decay begins to set in. Immediately. And Aaron turned around, and there is his sister, and she's as white as snow. And it wasn't an accident that God allowed her to experience leprosy, because all down through scripture, leprosy is typified sin. What happens? What immediately happened to her? She's what does leprosy do? It begins decay that leads to death. What does sin do? Same thing. And then what does it do? It immediately breaks relationships. You're ostracized. You have to be put out of the camp because of the danger to other people. There's a break in relationships with God and one another. That's what sin does. Just like envy and and self-seeking, it causes confusion and every evil desire so that you don't have true relationships. It says when sin comes in, you don't. When leprosy comes, you're ostracized. There's a break in all relationships. What else does sin do? It desensitizes. You don't feel anymore. You don't feel legitimate pain. And is that not just like sin? How many times have you heard of of one parent or another leaving families? Like the husband who leaves the wife and children and the children and has absolutely clueless to the chaos he has left in his wake. He is just like, he's like a walking dead man, absolutely desensitized to the needs of those that are are, are the very essence of his being till death. And as he walks out and they cry after him, he can't hear him, he can't see him, he can't feel pain. It's like the devil puts him in a box and he cannot feel pain. That's what leprosy does. You can burn your foot off and you don't feel pain. You don't even know you're dying and you don't feel pain. It's slow and it's insidious. And then what does it do? It stops the movement of the forward's presence of God. If there's sin in your life, sin in my life, or, or leprosy in the camp, you don't go forward. That one's put out until the one's restored. Or the one dies, and then you go forward. And when there's sin in your life, you may be going forward, but all of a sudden little subtle things come in like envy. God, why do they have that and I don't? Lord, why are they going through school so easily and we're not? God, I don't understand. Bless me, not just them. And so, and and it can be insidious. You don't even know it. But there's a loophole right there with envy that can just eat us up. And the readings for this week show what it did in the life of Joseph, the brothers were envious in what happens. they they sold their own brother out of sheer envy. And then what happened to Saul? He was envious of David, spent the last years of his life trying to kill him off. God wants to deal with it and it's not that he and if we come to him with every need in our life, he will meet us. But he said, if you're going to be great, Don't try to be great on your own, just trying to put yourself forward with recognition. Come to me and let me make you great. And true greatness is when you and I become like children so that we are broken and dependent and joyful and absolutely live in the presence of the one we love the most, our mother and our daddy. And God says, I want you to move in that kind of dimension. And so what do we have? We have... (laughs) Miriam put outside the camp. Immediately, Aaron is is in grief. And he pleads with Moses. Moses, intercede. Please get God to change his mind. Please don't let her die like this. Which immediately shows the depth of the intercessory power of the man Moses. Because Moses is no longer his own. He is God's. And what's on his heart is the, are the things of the heart of God. Is there any hesitation in Moses to pray for his sister who has hurt him so badly? Not an ounce. He just cries out to God, spare God, spare. And God says, I will, but I'm going to let her go through what is the legitimate process for leprosy. You have to be, if I clean her, touch her. Then she has to wait seven days outside the camp and then come and show herself to the priest before she's brought back into reconciliation in the camp. And do you know, I think, what happened outside that camp as Miriam sat out there for those seven days? God met her. God chastened her. It was a very grateful Miriam that came in and a very humbled, broken Miriam that came back in after seven days not desiring that that should not be hers, but rejoicing in the position God had given her of true spiritual leadership among the people of God. It was just different than Moses's, And Aaron should rejoice in the spiritual leadership God had given him as the priest of God. It was different than Moses'. And we should rejoice in what God has given each one of us and not say, why have you done that for them and not done it for me? I remember when we were in graduate school when god this this was God dealt with me in a big way in this I remember we we went to graduate school and we didn't go quite the normal way. We were accepted someplace here in the here in the states, but then we um we, ha- we felt like there might be an opportunity. There was an opening overseas in Great Britain. But they, they said, we won't know until we, we vote at Michaelmas term, which was then October. And we were to be in our program in the States the 3rd of September. So do you take a graduate school in the hand or the one in the bush? so we went to prayer, and we got some other friends, and we spent a day together um, praying. The men fasted, the women watched babies and prayed on the run. You know how that is. <laughs> and so we fasted and prayed on the run, and we all felt when we caught together that night and put all the babies down that, yes, God was leading to go to Great Britain. Well, I hadn't really trusted God quite in those dimensions before. He give up the known God for the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so so so, we said all right. So we said no, we weren't coming. And then we head to Great Britain. We get over there, and we're over there by you know thirty days. And they said, well, there um, we we think you can stay. Oh, that's reassuring. And then they said finally they voted yes, we could stay, but then he we, Al would have to prove himself in a year. And then we just had hand-to-mouth existence. We had our tickets over, and then we prayed in our money every month. I remember it just it was just, that's how some of you are living right now. It was just literally hand-to-mouth. And I looked around, ha-ha, at some of my Christian fellow students that were at that place. Because I went to a Bible study. It was a precious study. And there were others and they had been accepted the normal way. There was no humiliation. They'd kind of come through a crack. And they were all doing well and even had money to travel on weekends to see part of England and Europe. We didn't have money to go to the bread store. <laughs> and I just said, Jesus, I don't think you're treating me quite right. Ever been there? Jesus, why are you blessing? Why is it so easy for them and so hard for us? Why? Where are you? Don't you love us? All we want to do is serve you. And you're just... Uh, and sometimes I talk to him and say, I think you're being mean and cruel. Now, I take heart. Moses sounded a little bit like that. i and she think... But do you know what? And then I remember we got... He had two little girls, and so we got a letter from the school in America that said, it was forwarded, it said we had gotten an extra stipend and we had all our medical expenses paid and we had $3,000 extra to live on while we were in school. They didn't realize we weren't there. And I remember holding that letter before the Lord and sobbing my eyes out. I didn't trust him with all my heart. And do you know what? The program in America would have never been the one in England What Al was like a duck in the sunshine, in the water. The one in America was mostly words and ancient Near Eastern names. He would have died. The year that we had to prove ourselves, he worked his head off and he got almost... Two thirds of that dissertation done. So by the end of the time, he was, we graduated early. I mean, you never do that. Ever. Ever. He had another year that he gave to another year of postdoctoral research. We weren't sick for two years. Very rarely. We didn't need full health care benefits at that time Jesus was our doctor and so what he did he, he covered that and every month we watched while Jesus sent in enough for us to feed our babies and not just survive like I thought but thrive and he said Beth will you not look around at how I treat others will you trust me And do you know what? I learned something those hard years, that he was good and he was trustworthy. Even when on the surface, I couldn't see it. And that's what we see here today. God is good and he is trustworthy. And is there any envy in your heart or mind, any self-seeking Let me close with this. This is written by a Bengali American mother. I read it in an article in a magazine. As a child, I had big plans for when I grew up. I scribbled poetry, dreaming of becoming a great writer and winning the Pulitzer Prize, or like Mother Teresa, serving the poor and ending poverty once and for all. I smile at my youthful zeal. Time is speeding by, and I am tying shoelaces, making casseroles, clipping coupons, and putting toys away. Is this the greatness I dreamed of? Many times the accuser whispers lies and claims, I'm leaving no lasting market on the world. And at times they have gotten jealous and envious of others who seem to be getting along easier than I and getting more recognition than I. I wondered if maybe I were missing it. Then Jesus gave her four myths concerning success and four truths. And they're tremendous. The first truth, the first myth Only successful people change the world. The truth is, faithful people change the world. You are just a mom, a diaper changer, not a world changer. Others are enforcing policies to save the environment, and I am enforcing policies to save my carpet. It's easy to lack confidence when I ship into Satan's comparisons. But then I remembered that Paul was alone in prison. Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus had to search for him very hard to find him. But while Paul was in prison, waiting to die, he wrote Second Timothy. Do we remember the powerful or successful men of that day? I know, but we still remember Paul. It's not successful people who change the world, but faithful ones. Myth two, it's wrong for Christians to want to be great and noble. The truth? Christians should aim to be instruments for noble purposes. A good sign of wrong ambition in my life is envy. Jesus said becoming great is becoming least. Our goal is servanthood. Not longing for more recognition at all. And then she gives an example of going to hear a Bengali writer, an American Bengali woman who had written two books and was having a book signing. And this is her inner dream, to have her own book. And the woman's on her second. And she said, Lord, she's not even a believer, and she's on her second book. I love you, and I'm not on any book. And the Lord said, would you bless her and pray for her then would you be content with who you are in me what I have called you to be and what I have called you to do right now and then will you hear me there's seasons in a woman's life you will not always be tying shoelaces they will go to college someday there are seasons hold on don't throw it all over Hold on and hold on to me. Then the next myth, I could do something great and important if I were free. The truth is, my chains, in quotes, help me change the world. Where do I feel chained today? If only I didn't have kids. Or if only I didn't have this kid. If only I didn't marry that man. If only I didn't have to work. If only I could work. If only I weren't sick. Paul rejects a life that focuses on chains. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. He sees limitations and weaknesses as opportunities for God to shine. Mothering at times seems the most limiting of vocations. We need to regain our vision of mothering as a world-changing call. It is not an accident that every time, jesus defines greatness he reaches down picks up a small child and said this is an example of true spiritual greatness and that is what you and i god many times calls us as women to invest our lives in those that are truly great fourth myth to be great i must be a spiritual giant and not a weakling truth oh this i love To be great, the only prerequisite for usefulness in the kingdom of God, the only prerequisite, it's not our XYZs, our PhDs, our MDs, or any other Ds. It's the only prerequisite is to be cleansed by God's spirit, by his forgiveness, to be squeaky clean, available, and obedient. Yippee. Present oneself polished and shiny for service by repentance, confession, cleansed from ignoble purposes so that we are like instruments for noble purposes, like a shiny teapot ready to serve tea. As never before, God is watching for women to mount, match the mountains of opportunity. He is looking for women who will say, I will face this and find my peace in it. If I perish, I perish. We know it need those who put God first. I wish that we had a woman driven along. We, we had women driven along by a mighty vision of what God could do if only He possessed them. I believe women such as these are going to do great things for God that will stagger this generation. Jesus never stops dreaming big dreams for me. His longing is that he might possess all of me by His holy Spirit. And through his presence in my life, change the world where I am right now. Hallelujah! (laughs) Any envy in our hearts? Any self-ambition? Anything that needs God to come and cleanse because it's so insidious and sneaky? Let God, let us not look at each other. Let us not compare ourselves to one another. Remember Corinthians it is, it is not good to compare ourselves among ourselves. It is not wise. Look to him, then let God make us into the women he wants us to be, to be the full woman of God he made you to be. There's a place for you and a place for this one and that one. Just like Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, they had three distinct roles in the heart of God. And we get into trouble when we want to be something that what God has called us to be. Oh, Jesus. Would you do something in our hearts today as women? It's so hard for us to rejoice in who you've made us. We tend to say, I wish I were taller or shorter. I wish I were skinnier. I wish I weighed a little more. I wish this or I wish that. Wish I had more education. And Jesus, what you want to do today is say, wait a minute. Don't look around and spend all your days in envy. And all your days trying to put others down so that you can look a little better, come to me and let me fight for you. And then let me find your whole identity and being in the person of Jesus Christ so there can be a rejoicing in who others are and then a rejoicing in who God's made you and I to be so that, Jesus, we could be set free to be women after god's own heart possessed by the spirit of jesus that through the presence your presence in our life the world can change the world in each one of us find ourselves that world can change because of god being there in us do it today jesus let today be a day when god comes and sets us free and we thank you in jesus name